Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> My name is Josh from the Passive Young Adults. And uh, so from age 16 to age 20, I lived in the Central Valley of California, about an hour and a half east of San Francisco Bay. And by far, my favorite thing to do during that season of my life is to go with my buddy Jay in his 22-foot Arima fishing boat and fish the San Francisco Bay. And then occasionally, when the salmon ran in the summer, we go underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and go up the coast. It is like an experience like no other. We catch halibut, stripers, cod, and then in the summer, salmon. It was some, one su uh, summer Saturday. We pulled his boat from where we lived in the Central Valley to Berkeley Marina, launched the boat at about 6 a.m., headed across the bay. We passed Alcatraz on our right, the city on our left, went underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, and approached the Potato Patch. Now, Potato Patch is a notorious area on the San Francisco Bay where tidal flows and ocean currents come together at a ocean floor rise to create the perfect storm of rough waters. Well, we knew going out there that day that it was gonna be, it was gonna be rough. There were some pretty high tides, but we said, hey, we're gonna try it anyway. So as we're motoring out to the potato patch, we can see the chop. And a chop is the distance between one wave to another, and it was like, really close, and these waves were really, really high. Unbeknownst to us, uh, many charter captains with 40 and 50-foot boats canceled their salmon trips that day. Well, we were smart enough, so we headed out. And as we enter into this potato patch, my, the captain, Jay, he's in his 40s, been out there for 20 years doing this thing, we started riding the waves. And you can't just hit the throttle and burn through it because you would launch off one wave and go in the middle of the next wave and sink immediately. So here we go. We're, we're motoring up one wave and then down the next. Once we go up the wave, all you can see is sky, 360 degrees. And then we go down the wave, you get into the trough of that wave, and it's like you're in a bowl made of water. All you can see is water, 360 degrees. Up, sky, down, water. And after about 10 minutes of that and uh, me offering my breakfast and last night's dinner to the fish, <laughs> I, uh, I look over to Jay and I'm like, Jay, are we going to be okay? Right, his one hand's clenched on the steering wheel, the other on the throttle. He goes, as long as we don't lose power, we'll be just fine. You know, in this past season of my life, I feel like I've been in the potato patch of life. Right, so my, you know, we have a young 14-month-old child, we're expecting another. We moved to a house that required a lot of renovation. I'm a student working on my PhD, and I have another job on the side to make everything work. And I feel I'm like, up. <laughs> you know, my life is in the potato patch. I look around at the things God's given me, and I ask, how am I going to get done all those things I have to get done as a pastor? as a father, as a husband, as a student, as a provider. Are you in that season of your life where you look around and think, how in the world am I going to get done all the things God has given me to do? I think of students, the pressure from work, from, te or from pressure from teachers, parents, coaches, and peers. Working professionals where you're working a ton of hours 
and you're trying to find that special someone. You don't know how you're going to get it all done. New parents. Or you find out parenting is not like they market it in the magazines, right? <laughs> I don't know what sleeplessness would look like. There's black page after black page maybe, but it's not what they market it to be. Some of you parents with growing families, you're working your job, your second job, while still trying to be a decent parent and a spouse. And often, things I hear often, you grandparents, you have grandparent duties, and you have duties to your grown children, and, and now you're caring for your aging parents. How are you going to get done all those things that you know you must do? Well, if you feel that way, if that's the question you ask yourself, you're in good company. Because that's what the disciples were asking themselves at this scene we find in Acts chapter 2. You see, Jesus had given them a promise and a command. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you feel like God's given you a task that you can't accomplish on your own, you're in a good place. Because that's where the disciples were. Well, here's the big idea for the day. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do what you must do. Just don't lose power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you sent your Son to die, to rise again, and to send us the Holy Spirit. Now we have that Holy Spirit. And Lord, you've given us so many good things to do. Lord, would you empower us by your Spirit? And as we look at your text today, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want for us. Help us have wisdom to understand what you're not calling us to do, but at the same time understand what you are calling us to do. And Lord, would you work in each one of our hearts through your spirit to love you and love others more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they began, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, this is an extraordinary day in the, li in the history of the world, in the life of humanity. This is the birthday of the church. It's the hinge that swings the Old Testament age onto the New Testament, the church age. It is the change from the going to the temple for sacrifices to offering our bodies as living sacrifices with the Holy Spirit living inside each believer. It's an important day. It's the birthday of the church. Let me give you a little uh, timeline of this season in the life of the church. The Last Supper was on Passover, 52 days prior to this event. Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, the following day. He resurrected on Sunday, on Easter. 
And then scripture tells us that he was with his disciples and with others for 40 days, attesting to the truth of his resurrection. Jesus ascended into heaven, and there was a, two, a 10-day period. No Jesus, no Holy Spirit, where the disciples waited and waited, just like what Pastor Rick preached on last week. And after that 10 days, we have Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, where he gives us the Holy Spirit. And what does this word Pentecost mean? Well, Pentecost is a celebration of the Jewish people of, the, of 50 days after the first Sabbath, after the Passover. And it's a time when they would celebrate the harvest time. It's basically Thanksgiving for devout Jews, where they would come and offer sheaves of grain or other sacrifices to celebrate God's provision. So in this scene, is a, it's an extraordinary scene. Here are these believers, uh, probably about 120 of them, all gathered in one place. And all of a sudden, a sound, not a mighty wind, but a sound like a mighty wind fills the place. It's, it's like on a summer day, we can hear the wind through the trees, but you can't feel it or you can't see it. And a mighty sound brings these images. It's, it says, tongues as of fire. Now don't think of like disembodied, like, you know, wet tongues, like resting on top of people's heads. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a symbolism. It's, it's, of, it's, it's like a fire. You know, you, see, you hear like, oh, the, that fire lapped up that grass as it burnt it. So here we have a sound like the, a mighty wind and fire, little fires resting on the heads of these believers as they were gathered together. Now, why would Jesus usher in the New Testament age with the giving of his Holy Spirit by these two symbols of wind and of fire? Well, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit was promised to us, not just from Jesus in Acts 1.8, but throughout the all of New Testament, or excuse me, all of the Old Testament. And all that the Old Testament, we see these symbols of wind and of fire being manifest for the Holy Spirit. So what God's doing here is he is linking the giving of the Holy Spirit to the promises of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. He's saying, look, this is not a new God. This is not a new worship. This is a changed worship. No longer do you have to go to a temple. No longer is God present in his temple. No, he is present in individual believers. And he has promised this throughout the Old Testament. Well, let's see what uh, the consequences, the changes that happened of these believers, starting in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this, this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, 
Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So what are these tongues? Scripture says that these believers spoke in tongues. Well, the, word, the Greek word here is glosis. And this word tongues simply means languages. And the languages they spoke were all the, the languages from Arabia and Phrygia and all these surrounding nations. So what God did to prove himself and to manifest his power through the Spirit is gave these believers the ability to speak in the foreign language of the visitors to Jerusalem. Now, there are other uses of this same word in the verb form called glossolalia. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's different, where someone would speak in a church context of, in, a, in a language that no one would understand except for one other person who had a special spiritual gifting to interpret what that person said. And then they would share it with the congregation. That's found in, in 1 Corinthians 14. We believe that's still something that is present today. It's not common. It's nothing that I've experienced. But there is pastor, a pastor in our uh, church uh, staff who speaks in tongues when he prays. But that's not the type of tongues we see in Acts 1.8. Or it should be Acts chapter 2. It's just speaking in different languages. It's a miracle from God. Now, I would be naive to think that people in here aren't saying, okay, this is really weird. Are you, am I really supposed to believe this like sound and like the fire thing? And then they, they're, they're at like instant Rosetta Stone, you know, and then they could speak... <laughs> Now, if you, you know, whether you believe in the miracles of the New Testament or not, that's between you and God. I do. But I will say this. The miracles found in the New Testament are categorically different than miracles attested to all other religions. See, all the other religions, they bring up and show miracles of there's just like one guy. You know, he's out in the wilderness, and God reveals his will to him, or reveals an oracle, or reveals a golden plate, or whatever it is. But there's no way to verify what they said was a miracle, what actually happened. But the miracles in the New Testament are different. They're public. They're openly verifiable. They beg you to check on the truth of the miracle. The resurrection of Jesus. Find a body, disprove the miracle. And Jesus walked around and spent time with all these different people. That, that's me. That's a, you know, that, yes, that's a hole, you know. I'm resurrected. Jesus healed blind people. If you know a blind guy and he claims to be healed, that's easily verifiable, right? How many fingers am I holding up? If he can't, if he can't tell you, he's still blind. A crippled person, lame from birth. If you see them walking, something happened, right? So whether you believe the, the miracles of the New Testament or not, that's between you and God. But they're verifiable. And that begs the question for you, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if God didn't do something special during this New Testament age, what happened? Like, the onus is on you to explain what happened, why we change our calendar, why more people in the world than any other say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. 
So the disciples were charged in Acts 1.8 to do something they must. You must be my witnesses throughout the whole world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Most of these guys had like visited Samaria like once, right? They had, the ends of the earth was as foreign to them as Mars. So there's no, how are we supposed to do that? And then they're, you know, huddled up in the room thinking, okay, no Jesus, no Holy Spirit. Okay, let's pray and read the Bible. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And that's that waiting season they were in. But God provided the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowered them to do something that they must do by giving them a capacity that they never had. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to do what you must do by giving you a capacity that you never had. The same Holy Spirit that gave the disciples ability to speak in all these foreign languages is the same Holy Spirit that wants to equip you to have the patience and strength and focus and kindness and wisdom to do those things that you must do. Right? What must you do in your life? If you had to write down a list of things that you must do, what would they be? Begin to think about, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work. I'm a, I'm a parent or I'm a friend. I'm a, I'm a spouse. I'm a grandparent. I'm a daughter. I'm, all those things that God has told you you must do, he hasn't left you by yourself to figure out how to do it. He wants to give you a capacity that you never had to empower you to do what you must do. Look, so me and Jay, we're in the potato patch, going up and down, and he's motoring through, going up and down. I could have picked up an oar, right? Like, Jay, this isn't working. Turn off the engine, I got this. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen the California coast. It's not like a sandy beach. It's like crags and rocks. And they call the potato patch potato patch because so many potato boats crashed in there. There's like potatoes on the you know, floor of the ocean. And many of you are in that. And if I would have turned the engine, it's like, no, no, this isn't going how I want it to go. And just started paddling with our oars. We would have crashed against the rocks. Too often, we're just paddling with our oars. When God says, look, turn on the engine. You don't have enough power to get through where you're at in your life, but I'm gonna give you a capacity that you never had to get through, not only survive, but to flourish in where you are. God wants to do that in your life. You gotta drop the oar, turn on the engine, and trust him. So there is a, Scripture tells us a multitude gathered at the hearing of this mighty sound and here's Peter, <laughs> Peter, who just 52 days before denied he even knew Jesus. A little slave girl comes up to him and goes, hey, don't you know Jesus? He cusses her out and says, I don't know the man. This brash Peter, right, the jump first, ask questions later, impetuous Peter, at the moment of Jesus' greatest need, was cowardice, was a coward. And here we have Peter introduced again. What is he going to do before the same crowd who crucified Jesus? Let's see. Look with me at verse 22. Men of Israel, 
hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jump down to verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Two months prior, Peter would not even say he knew Jesus to a slave girl. And now he's standing before that same group, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Something happened to this man. You see, God designed Peter just in the way he wanted him to be designed. Brash, you know, impetuous action-oriented. But because of sin in Peter's life and brokenness in his life, he, his design was twisted. Like an arrow which is missing a feather, he just didn't quite fly straight. The design was good, but something was broken. Same in your life and mine. However you're designed, your personalities, your makeup, what you like and don't like, what you're good at and not good at, God designed you just that way. But it's the sin in our lives that twists our ability to become who God designed us to be. But one of the works of the Holy Spirit is making us into who God designed us to be. That's what he did with Peter. This jump first, ask questions later kind of guy who, you know, and when Jesus was arrested, lopped off the high priest's servant's ear, <laughs> you know, who in turn was bold in one moment, brash one moment, was a coward the next. God empowered him by the Spirit to be bold for Jesus. He, is, he made, is making Peter who he designed Peter to be, and God wants to make you who you are designed to be. But because of sin in our lives, we are broken but through the Holy Spirit. That's how we're changed. 
That's how we're renovated. That's how we are restored to fly the way God wanted us to fly, to bloom how God wants us to bloom, to grow how God wants us to grow. So I, I, uh, I bought a, a reduced for quick sale plant at Home Depot uh, a couple days ago. It was like, I guess it's you know, it dying. So I bought it. And I was going to put it in my office. So, um, but I forgot it in my hallway for a couple of days. And it molded and died. Right? Plop, you know, I was going to put it in my office. There was light in my hallway. You can keep the light on. But a plant can't flourish can't even survive apart from the power of the sun. Look, many of us want to flourish, want to grow, and we do all we can. We try to read books and make best practices to flourish. What we're doing is we're putting a plant in the closet, plugging in a nightlight, shutting the door, and say, oh, it's going to grow great. We need and you need the power of the Holy Spirit, just like a plant needs the power from the sun. No matter what we as a, you know, me can do to try to flourish and grow my life, become who I am meant to be, it's impossible to do it without the Holy Spirit. And I, Jesus invites you to be empowered by the Spirit to become who you are designed to be. Are you a tender-hearted person, but too often are kind of steamrolled by people or an enabler? God wants you to be tender but a strong, tender person, just like Jesus, right? Are you an aggressive person that maybe goes beyond what God wants you to do and doesn't, has a trouble waiting? Well, God wants you to be a, an aggressive evangelist by the power of his Holy Spirit. Are you a person who deeply loves getting by themselves and studying the scripture or studying engineering and so that you can bless other people by what you've learned? Well, God wants to empower you to do that and not end just in the study, but always have your heart and your work with the disposition to bless others. How you're designed is good and the Holy Spirit wants you to flourish in the way God designed you. Let's see the response, this renewed, newly made Peter. How does this group, this crowd respond? Look with me at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So, G, so Peter, this renewed, bold for Jesus Peter, is calling to these, this group, same group that cried crucify him to Jesus, and they were cut to the heart. You know, in my study, I'm like, why were they cut to the heart? Aren't these like mean, angry, like good hating people? Quite the opposite. It's their good intentions that brought Jesus to the cross. You see, these devout Jewish people, they thought they were doing God's work. 
they weren't a angry, raging, wicked crowd. They had the best intentions, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And their good intentions brought Jesus to the cross. As the New Testament scholar Chad Thornhill writes, one of the most unsettling aspects of the opposition to Jesus' earthly ministry is that his opponents were well-intentioned. And that's so often our lives. Like we have good intentions, but what we need is Holy Spirit right convictions. We have a good, a good intention of being a nice person, but we need the Holy Spirit power to love people like Jesus. They can often be bristly. It can often cause conflict, but it brings the best for that person. Right? We, as men, I think especially, or, sing, or single parents certainly, we have a good intention of providing financially for our family. That's important. But we need a right conviction and wisdom to know when enough's enough and to know that God is the provider of all things. We have a good intention of building a great church, right? We want a great church, but we need the right conviction of building the kingdom of God to, for his glory and not any of our own. We have the good intention of learning Bible, right? Learning theology, but we need the right conviction to do what we've learned. And that's the difference between a follower of Jesus and a Pharisee. Right, you moms out there, you have the good intention of being super mom. You need the right conviction of being a super discipler for your children every day. We don't have the vision for our own lives to know, to parse out what's a good intention and a right conviction. We need the Holy Spirit working as we read scripture, as we pray, as we talk with other believers to have right conviction. So what do we do? I, oh, so often in my life, have these good intentions that ultimately run me far off the path which God has. So what do I do? What do we do when we realize we have good intention but not right conviction? We do the same thing that Peter tells the crowd. Repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have never felt the power of God. Maybe you've prayed a prayer. That doesn't mean anything. Have you felt the presence and power of God? Is God your Father who cares for you? If you've never experienced God, then you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to do that this morning. But some of us, they say, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm saved. When you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. But you're like, I don't feel empowered by the Spirit. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you need to repent of. Martin Luther says all of the Christian life is one of repentance. Is there a sin in your life that you're just not willing to give to the Lord? Well, that's the work that God wants to do in your life. So I, I'm in the, um, so we bought a home and we're working and you know, redoing rooms in our home. 
tear down, tear down the walls, build everything up. But the room's not done, and I can't go to the next room, or the contractor really can't go to the next room, until that room's finished. Is there some unfinished things in your life? that God wants to finish so we can go to the next place and use you in a greater way. Like, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. There's a few areas here, but it's manageable. You can't manage sin. You can only make war against it. You have to fight it with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the power. You have it. You just got to trust the key, right? You've got to turn the engine on. Honestly, you've got to ask Jesus to turn the engine on. You're, you're just clinging on to the side of the boat. Jesus is the captain. Holy Spirit's the engine. You just need to say, okay, I'll put my oar down. Time to, time to go. Is that where you're at today? Say, Lord, I'm open-handed. I'm empty-handed. Help me. Empower me. Give me your empowerment, the gift of your Holy Spirit. A quick summary. The Holy Spirit empowers you and me to do what you must by giving you a capacity you never had, by making you who you are designed to be, and turning good intentions into right convictions. All right, Josh, well, I understand that. How do I do that? <laughs> what do I do? I need that. What do I do? Well, here's some thoughts. Be saved. If you have never experienced, felt God, you need to be saved. Repent of your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you, you just feel like you're empty, you don't need the power, but, but you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. You receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved, but the Bible says if you're saved, you need to be baptized. A Christian who has not been baptized is like a bride who doesn't want a wedding. Something's going on there. In your program, on where the notes are, underneath there's a checkbox. You can check to sign up for the next baptism class. You'll be baptized on Easter. Baptism is one of the most wonderful witnessing expressions God designed for his church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be baptized. Also, be praying. This week, I have been praying the prayer Chad taught us two weeks ago, Lord, help me live empowered by your spirit. I've been praying that all the time, <laughs> and it makes a difference. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Ask him. He'll give it to you. So be praying. Also, be prayed for. Today we're doing something special in our prayer cove. We're designing it for a specific group of people. If you are a single mom or a single dad, or a couple who has children, and you just feel up to your eyeballs with responsibility, we have special friends and elders in the prayer cove that are there to pray specifically for you, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to give you a capacity, give you right convictions, to make you who you are meant to be in your parenting, and your caring for, and your family life. If that's you, during our worship songs, you just go over there and be prayed for. Or after the service, you take... Take the kids. You, one of you can go. Both of you can go. We want to pray for you. You need to be prayed for. Another thing, be thankful. Often busyness just means you've got a lot of blessings. 
You've got a lot of kids. Many people would love to have kids. You've got a job. Many people would love to have a job. You have competing family uh, situations. Many people would love to have an integrated family. Now, through the Holy, the Holy Spirit will convict you of things that you or your family doesn't need to do. You know, eight gymnastics teams probably is not the Holy Spirit's will for your life, right? It's your responsibility to understand what you need to do. And then when you f- understand that through his Spirit, he has empowered you to do it. And finally, be witnessing. The time in my life that I've most felt the power of the Holy Spirit is when I'm sharing the gospel with other people. Remember, Jesus told them and told us to be witnesses, not to be prosecutors, not to be judges or bailiffs, to be witnesses. What does a witness do? Tells what they've seen and experienced. That's your responsibility. And if you do that, you will feel the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Let me close with this. Jesus Christ, our Lord, went to the cross, died, rose again so that you can have the Holy Spirit. Ask of it. Ask of the power of it. He wants it for you. It's not a carrot he's dangling. It's a gift he's offering to you. And look, if you trust Jesus, he's driving the boat. The Holy Spirit's the engine. You will be just fine. You will be more than fine as long as you don't lose power. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, you are so good. Thank you that you have empowered us by your spirit. Would you do that even more so, that we can be the people you have designed us to be, we have the right convictions that we should, and that you will give us the capacity that we don't have in order to do what we must do. Help us, Lord. May we be people at CVC who are empowered by your spirit so that we can be witnesses all throughout the world. Lord God, thank you that you sent your son to die and rise again and to give us your spirit. May we avail ourselves of that gift. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.